Sounds great. Uh, can I get a first motion to approve the minutes from May 10th, 2023? Commissioner Kelly, motion to approve. Thank you, Commissioner. And a second. Christina Gentry, a second. Thank you. And we'll just go down the line. Uh, Brad Burnside on the minutes. Uh, yes. And uh, let's see. So the next one would be Christina Gentry. Yes. Okay. Patrick Kelly. Yes. Kate Lorenz. Yes. And I'm a yes. Okay. So past five to zero. Uh, next order of business is Heartland Community Health Center for uh, the to obtain a sales tax exemption on construction materials for a new facility at 1312 West 6th Street. Yeah, so um, staff is, gonna, is just gonna go over our report really quick and then we'll let Heartland come up and give their presentation. Um, so just a review of the technical report. Um, so this project is to support a new, the new construction of a, of a uh, resource and service facility um, directly adjacent to Heartland's current facility. Um, the address will be 534 Michigan, let's see, apologies, uh, 534 Michigan Avenue. Um, the total capital investment for the project is $2.6 million um, with approximately 17 new jobs um, within the first two years, ranging from $40,000 to $90,000 in salary. Um, they expect the project to start in September of this year and finish a year later in September 2024. Um, this project is primarily being seen as a community benefit or development project rather than economic development, um, simply because of the nature that it's a, a nonprofit uh, corporation. Um, however, it will introduce plenty of high paying jobs. Um, the estimated sales tax savings um, from the IRB exemption um, is approximately $372,000 based on construction estimates. Um, but that is also a, a kind of max savings if they were to purchase every single material and product in the city of Lawrence, um, with the city's uh, portion of that savings um, costing about $62,000. And then staff is also recommending um, a waiving of the, of the city's origination fee for those bonds, um, as they are uh, a designated nonprofit organization, um, with that fee um, being around $16,000. Um, so with that, I'll go ahead and let Heartland come up and present. Um, let's go ahead and switch this over. Am I going here? Yes, you'll use that okay. podium. Um, Perfect. All right, Kurt, it looks like the PDFs disappeared. Oh, my. <laughs> oh we had everything ready for you guys. We had new technology and... Coming from the tech class. <laughs> um, like, I, I can't access them on the screen for some reason. Through the shared screen, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, there's... Okay. Sorry about that. Oh, did that just... Uh, I'm not trying to change it. Do you need help? I can help. Um, no, sorry about that. We had everything set up and we thought it was going to go off at the hitch. I apologize. No worries. It's to help save us. Oh. Here, Kurt, I got you. Okay, all right. I'm not trying to. Nope. <laughs> it's also very hard to. Yeah. yeah. Am I um, advancing my own slides? Yes. Um, and it should work either with the mouse or with the arrows. Okay, perfect. 
Okay, you're all set. Okay, great. All right, um, my name is Julie Brandstrom. I'm the CEO at Heartland Community Health Center. Um, I joined Heartland in August of 2022 as part of the merger uh, with Douglas County Dental Clinic. And I previously spent 15 years working at Douglas County Dental Clinic as the executive director. I wanted to start out um, today with just a brief background um, about Heartland. Um, Heartland received its federal um, FQHC designation about 11 years ago. And I think one of the most significant things um, to understand about Heartland's designation as a federally qualified health center is that it brings more than $2 million of federal resources annually to our community expressly for the purpose of providing. Yeah, we've lost audio. Sorry about that. All right, so um, it brings more than $2 million of uh, federal resources annually to the community expressly for the purposes of providing health care uh, to underserved populations. Um, we have about 160 employees currently in two clinic locations. Oh, I'm not able to advance slides now. There we go. Um, so we employ about 160 people. We work in two clinic locations. Um, and we're really an organization that is made up um, of four different organizations from the community. Um, those organizations are the Douglas County Dental Clinic, Healthcare Access Clinic, and um, uh, Panda Pediatrics Clinic. Um, our organization has uh, experienced tremendous growth over the past three to five years, beginning with the merger uh, between Heartland and Healthcare Access in 2018, and then Douglas County Dental Clinic in 2020, and four months later, uh, the acquisition of Panda Pediatrics in January uh, of 2021. Um, we also moved into our current building located at 1312 West 6th Street in October of 2021. Um, and this has been a really amazing space uh, for our staff and our patients to receive care. Um, in this space, we have 32 primary care exam rooms, 14 dental operatories, six behavioral health rooms, and a pharmacy and a food pantry. Um, as I previously mentioned, Heartland has grown significantly in the past five years, and in 2022, we had 20,358 unique patients at the health center and provided 64,520 appointments during that time. Heartland is unique in that we offer an integrated care model providing medical, dental, behavioral health, and psychiatry, as well as pharmacy and enabling services under one roof. Um, we know that often mental health conditions will present in the primary care exam room, and we frequently use this as an opportunity to make a warm handoff um, to a patient into behavioral health or into psychiatry. Um, in 2022, Heartland provided mental health services to almost, almost 4,500 patients. 1,437 of those were children under the age of 18. Because there has been a lack of access to psychiatry services for both adults and children uh, in our community, our pediatricians and our family uh, medicine providers have been managing psych meds for our patients for over a year. Um, ECRI, which is an independent global authority on technology and safety in healthcare, has named the pediatric mental health crisis as the number one top patient safety concern for 2023. 
So we currently have two LSCSWs, um, behavioral health consultants essentially, that are embedded into our pediatric practice in the Panda building. Um, and one of those individuals is also a registered play therapist. Um, again, the primary care setting is really a place where behavioral health needs are often first identified. So having uh, the opportunity for a warm handoff is a really effective way to fil facilitate patients um, into care. But because of this great need for access to pediatric psychiatry services, Heartland has recently hired Dr. Nick Evangelides, and he is a board-certified child psychiatrist who will be relocating to our community from Manhattan this August. And this new hire also helped to inform the best possible use of the first floor uh, clinical space that will be a part of this new building at 534 Michigan. And that's the project that I'm here to speak about today. We plan to break ground this fall on an 8,000 square foot building on land that we purchased from LMH last year. Um, this land is adjacent to our currently current building on 6th Street, uh, so it will create a campus, um, if you will, that is convenient for our patients to access care and convenient for providers to go back and forth between the two locations. Um, 4,000 square feet on the first floor, as I said, will be dedicated to, to psychiatry and behavioral health. Um, the decision to dedicate this space to psychiatry and behavioral health was intentional and was in direct response to our community's need for access to care. We are intentionally designing this space to be trauma-informed and a space where our patients uh, will feel comfortable and safe accessing care. We'll have eight therapy rooms for adults and children, as well as a large multi-purpose room where we can offer group therapy, cooking and nutrition, nutrition classes in collaboration with Just Food and our Care Cupboard, which is our food pantry, um, as well as other community programming. This building will also provide um, 4,000 square feet on the second floor of much needed administrative space um, for upcoming projects that Heartland has, such as bringing our billing in-house. We currently outsource that and we'd like to bring it in, um, as well as a centralized call center. Um, with the rapid growth that I talked about before of clinical um, services through these mergers and acquisitions, we desperately need the administrative infrastructure to support the operations of our organization. And so the offices on the second floor are also really important to us. Um, this project leverages $580,000 of federal grant funds awarded to Heartland in late 2021, and these federal dollars need to be spent by September of 2024. Um, we really appreciate the opportunity to come and speak to you today um, and appreciate your consideration of the IRB sales tax exemption, and we're happy to stand for questions if you have them. Thank you very much, Julie. Does anybody have any questions for Julie? Um, I do. This is Christina Gentry. Hi, Julie. Thank Hi. you for that presentation. I'm really impressed by all the work that Heartland does and contributes to our community. Thanks. Um, uh, this is a question that kind of just 
dives into the services that you provide for our community as you see going forward into 2024. Um, since the transition of the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health uh, Community Resources, Heartland has become um, like one of the major resources for all reproductive health and family planning needs for most, especially those requiring sliding scale fees and assistance with paying and fees yes. associated to that. Could you tell us a little bit more about Title 10 as the health department is phasing out of these services and how will this application for economic development assistance aid our community um, needing sliding scale fees to obtain needing meeting family planning resources. Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, Heartland will be taking over the Title X funding. And I think the import one important thing to uh, recognize is that Title X really is just a funding mechanism to support family planning services. And that was a grant that the health department previously held for a long time. Um, they approached Heartland uh, late last year and asked if we would be willing to take over the family planning services. Um, and they quickly uh, experienced a loss of a lot of their clinical staff. And so uh, Heartland quickly jumped into action, made a lot of adjustments to our workflows to be able to offer um, same day uh, testing and treatment for STD, STI. Um, we recently just found out that we were awarded the grant through KDHE. Uh, the grant year starts uh, July 1. We anticipate while we will be providing all of the family planning services at Heartland that we will not actually start taking advantage of the grant funding until October 1st. And uh, a couple reasons for that. One is that um, it just takes time to build the infrastructure needed to be able to uh, handle all of the reporting requirements um, from the state. Um, the clinical piece is not the complicated piece. It's the administrative burden behind being able to offer those discounted fees and sliding scale to patients who qualify for those services. Um, so again, the, the IRB sales tax exemption is important to Heartland because it just helps us save money on this on this construction project. Um, and as I'm sure most people know, uh, Heartland is a nonprofit organization, and we work really hard to stretch all of our resources, both through city and county, as well as state and local government, and federal dollars um, as far as we can to reach and help us as many patients as possible. Um, we anticipate that we will serve as many or more patients than the health department previously served through family planning. We have already seen um, uh, an uptick in the services that we're providing. And uh, we're in the process now of recruiting a provider and care team um, that would be strictly uh, focused on providing Title X um, family planning services, as well as some walk-in primary care. Thank you. Welcome. Hi, Julie. This is Commissioner Kelly. Just a couple quick questions. Thanks for your presentation. Um, and I really appreciate your leadership in bringing psychiatric care, especially for children, to Douglas County. So thank you. We're, Douglas County is happy to help support that. So well done. Um, so uh, one of the things I'm thinking about um, uh, this request is, is, you know, the cost to um, government, city, and county. And um, just so that the public can hear, um, and you may not have it off the top of your head, but how much money do you receive in county funding already? 
So my understanding is that uh, we currently are receiving 207,000 from the county for our MAT program. And then the county also just approved uh, I think it's 120,000 as a supplemental through the psychiatric supplemental funding to that that is actually helping us bring Dr. Evangelides um, to this community, um, and that is sort of keeping in line with um, what the county has also done for some of our partners. Uh, Bert Nash um, has been the recipient of these psychiatric infrastructure funds as well, um, and so my understanding is that we are guaranteed at least the first six months of this funding. We have uh, made a supplemental request to the county uh, for the remainder of the funds for 2024. And then in subsequent years, um, two and three, we will be making requests for 10% uh, uh, reduction in that funding amount each year as this provider gets online, um, gets fully credentialed, and builds a panel, and ultimately would be able to um, be sustained through billing uh, for services with Medicaid and commercial insurance. Thanks. And, and my point was going to be, I would guess that if you don't receive this IRB, and it's not a huge amount of money for these IRB funds and total sales tax, but you would have to look for those resources elsewhere and that you might be coming to these same governmental agencies for these resources as a request, right? So this is this is another way of doing that, and this does leverage some of those state sales tax dollars as well that we can take advantage of. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say. Okay, thank you. You bet. Is there any other questions for Julie? Um, this is Kate Lorenz. I just wanted to say thank you for the presentation. I had some questions, but the other uh, committee members beat me to it. So, um, yeah, I appreciate the thorough report and uh, answering of the questions. Thank you. Oh, this is uh, Christina Gentry. Other, sorry, I, yeah. <laughs> um, I did have another question kind of diving into that. Uh, the 20,000 unique patients that you have just added to your uh, intake and inventory, that's quite a bit. Um, as we know, like worldwide, meeting healthcare needs of transgender um, and diverse and non-binary people is shifting rapidly towards primary care. Um, Transgender, diverse, and binary people are at high risk for suicide, especially when access to medical care and services are limited. So prolonging assessments, which include inclusive practices by healthcare professionals, may, may be harmful. I saw that you rep also represent uh, uh, and serve 1% of people who identify as transgender. Um, can you tell me a little bit of where you are in developing inclusive primary care for transgender, diverse, and non-binary people? Sure. Um, we have worked really hard um, over this past year um, to really create a safe space um, for everyone uh, to seek care. And uh, gender affirming care is a, a top priority for the health center. All of our providers uh, provide care to uh, trans, uh, non-binary, um, 
you know that that entire uh, population, and um, so again, this and especially as we are you know facing the possibility of um, laws that get in the way of providing that type of care, we are working closely with our state our primary care association to advocate um, at the state level. Um, again, we follow. Uh, AMA and uh, Pediatric uh, Medical Association guidelines, which state that uh, best practice is that we would provide health care to that population in the way that assists them best. Okay, thank you. And John, just before um, you, you move to make a vote, um, we do have some folks online and in the room, and typically, um, how public comment works is after the after the applicant makes a presentation and staff provides the report and um, the body asks their questions, we'll open it up to public comment. And then once all the public comment has been made, you, you'll go ahead and make the vote. Um, okay. at, so. at this time, yes, if there is any public comments, definitely we'd like to hear them. Uh, and if you're online, please use the raise your hand function and we're gonna operate the same as the city commission so you get three minutes of public comment per person. Okay, John, I don't see any um, in the room, and... Wait, I oh, thought I had to wait for the... Office. Somebody in the room? Nobody, uh, nobody online? Uh, I don't see anybody online raising their hand, so, of course, go ahead and Thank come you. make a public comment. Mm -hmm. I am uh, coming before you in favor of this uh, incentive. I'm a client of Heartland, and I've been a client since they were in the old dead mall years ago. Um, I have all my needs met there. My primary care, my dental, my pharmacy, my therapist. It's a one-stop shop. I recommend it to everyone, no matter if they have insurance and money. They welcome all. You should see the diversity of their staff. It is amazing. I mean, better than any other place I've been in, Lawrence Medical or not. Um, I don't know how they stay open because this requires so much money and there's so many people that they serve who don't have money or are unhoused. Um, they're just a huge benefit to our community and I hope that you vote to give them this incentive. Thank you. Oh, and I'm KT Walsh, that's my name. Thank you. Thank you, KT. Anybody else from the audience or from online? Uh, I'm not seeing anybody uh, in person or online raising their hand. Yep, I do not see that as well. Uh, can I get a first motion to approve this sales tax exemption? This is Christina Gentry. I move to approve. Thank you, Christina. And uh, can I get a second motion? This is Kate Lorenz. I second. Thank you, Kate. And as far as voting, uh, Brad did mention earlier he's going to have to abstain on this one. So we'll go uh, next to Christina Gentry. Yes. Commissioner Kelly? Yes. Kate Lorenz? Yes. And I'm a yes as well, so that is four yeses, a zero nays, and one abstain. Next order of business is to consider First Management Incorporated for an industrial revenue bond to finance a sales tax exemption on construction materials, as well as the establishment of a neighborhood revitalization area for a rebate on improved property. 
Uh, Sam, if you had a presentation on that before. Yep. Um, so I'm just going to go. Uh, I'm just going to do a high-level review of the technical report that was in the agenda. Um, so again, uh, this project is uh, First Management Inc. is requesting economic development uh, assistance to redevelop the property at 700 New Hampshire Street, uh, commonly known as the Borders, the old Borders bookstore, um, into their corporate headquarters for uh, both First Management and First Construction. Um, their request is a 15-year, 90% uh, neighborhood revitalization area uh, tax rebate, uh, property tax rebate, um, as well as industrial revenue bonds um, for the purpose of obtaining a sales tax exemption for uh, construction and materials and labor. Um, the capital investment project is estimated at approximately uh, 4.3 uh, $4 million, um, and the job is to do a, uh, I'll give a, a brief overview of the job, they'll have more details, but it essentially amounts to a complete interior remodel as well as some um, external uh, improvements. Um, the application um, meets the state and city criteria for both NRA and IRB applications, as well as aligning with some of the uh, plan 2040 goals, um, which is the city's comp long range comprehensive plan. Um, the but-for analysis uh, provided by the National Development Council, or NDC, uh, found that their request was reasonable um, to support the repayment of the debt service as well as tenancy costs. Um, and then the city's cost-benefit analysis uh, found that their uh, ratio, uh, benefit-cost ratio to the city uh, was about 1.1. So for every $1 uh, spent in city incentives, either through the tax rebate or possible um, sales tax, uh, there was about $1.10 of economic development um, dollars provided back. Um, with that, I'll go ahead and turn it over to First Management to give their presentation, and we'll move into Q&A and comments afterwards. Uh, my name's Doug Compton. I want to thank everybody for giving us the time to, uh, to come down and present um, our request. Um, so I founded the company in 1991. Um, we had six employees at the time. In 2005, um, the construction division first management um, became our uh, wing of the company that does nothing but construction um, all around the country. Um, 32 years later, we have over 80 employees and the need to grow. We were at 901 New Hampshire Street on the second floor of that building for about nine years. We outgrew that space in 2020. We built a new facility um, north of the TP Junction in 2020. Uh, it's 1823 Road. Um, we then outgrew that space. Um, and uh, so we need a larger headquarters so we could put everybody under one roof. Our company's been a good corporate sponsor. We currently work with Toys for Tots, Just Foods, um, and we're an active participant in Junior Achievements. Um, so I think the next slide shows the existing Borders bookstore that's been set and empty for almost 13 years. And I think we've owned it that, that whole time. I think I've owned it since Borders closed. Um, We've identified the Borders building for a new joint corporate headquarters for first management and first construction. 
The building has been abandoned since 2011 when Borders closed its doors. Several, I, I brought several projects to the city um, over the years, um, but none of them came for, to fruition. We had some grocery stores looking at it. We were at one time gonna build up on that location and do retail on the first floor and, and apartments on the second floor. That didn't happen, um, and so our need came along to um, go from 22 offices to 44 offices. And so since I already owned the Borders Bookstore, we all want to be back downtown. That's one of the reasons why not only did we outgrow our space in North Lawrence, but we want to be back downtown. Um, slide three is the block overview. As you can see, we currently, um, we currently take up almost a half of city block. Besides the building, we have about 100 parking spaces for the building. Um, the building sits on the northwest corner of 7th and New Hampshire Street. Slide four is um, the, the livery stable wall was preserved and incorporated into the building when Borders was built. That was a that was a, a major request on behalf of the HRC in the city. Um, as you can see in the photo, the wall is in poor condition. We intend to preserve the wall and make needed repairs. Um, slide five. This is um, become a target for graffiti um, and vandalism. Slide five shows you the existing interior um, that is basically how it was left when Borders vacated the building in 2011. I um, brought Robert Green, who's the president of our company. He's gonna go through some of the construction and details on the building. And then after the president of our company goes through that, Brandy Sutton, who's the director of operations for our company, she's gonna go through um, the all the economic, economic uh, impact and, and what it brings to the city. So I'm gonna let um, Robert Green go through his section and then Brandy will wrap it up. Hi everyone, I'm Robert Green, president of First Construction. Um, uh, yeah, as uh, Doug was saying, um, you know, the building's been um, uh, vacant since 2011, um, and we're really essentially taking uh, a blighted building um, and giving it a facelift. Um, um, some of the things that we're doing is, is um, cutting some new windows into the building without really losing the character or, or changing um, you know, the, the, the use of it, the benefits of that is it, it's gonna allow, um, you know, more natural light into it. And then that, that in turn runs into being able to use um, sustainable fixtures, lighting, um, then we use um, lower water flow plumbing fixtures, um, 
you know, as, as that'll be part of during part of the um, the restoration. Um, also, we'll do um, whole new mechanic the mechanical system, which will be much more efficient. Um, well, the the building is going to require um, a lot of electrical upgrades. Right now, I'm not sure everything works in there. <laughs> obviously, um, um, one of the things that that was uh, um, important to us as um, we continue to grow is we we want to find a place where we can stay um, 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 for ever we hope but um, so what we what we've done is we worked with uh, the architect um, and was able to create a uh, second floor mezzanine um, to where we can put more offices um, you know that, that the benefits of that is we're we're creating more usable space for offices and we're not having to change um, the footprint um, you know change any encroachments or easements kind of and, it, and it's able to allow us to, to continue to grow. Um, as Doug mentioned, um, part of it um, was important to us was to, to kind of keep some of the historic um, relevance of the, the livery, livery wall. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's badly deteriorated now. Um, there's going to be some um, costs into saving it, but, but we think it's um, important to take this opportunity to you know, preserve some of the historic significance of that of that wall. Um, we so, and as far as as uh, job um, growth, um, we're doing um, a lot of uh, uh, construction projects that are that are in Kansas City, um, and that have um, a lot of diversity. Um, subcontractors and suppliers that, that we've created relationships with. Um, I would say on an average um, the projects that we do um, in KCMO are about 26% between um, women business owned or minority business owned subcontractors and or suppliers. Um, we've had great success with that and, and in fact um, we were just awarded the uh, airport um, remodel and renovation and um, our the, the norm on that is we're gonna we're gonna meet those requirements out there on that project as well um, so we think and, and as far as uh, our internal staff um, we think there's um, going to be between seven and ten full-time employees, ranging from 90 to 120,000. That'll be here um, that, that manage the projects in Kansas City. So they're here, have lunch here, run downtown and buy something, and then um, so they spend their money here. Um, we'll have approximately 14 employees that'll range from 50 to seven. Those will be um, Property managers, um, construction administration um, help. Um, again, they'll be here. Um, and you know, before, as Doug mentioned, we were at um, 901, um, outgrew that space, and then went north of town. And even even though it wasn't a long ways away from downtown, the employees enjoyed being downtown because they were able to go 
have lunch on Mass Street or, or run and grab something that they could, a new shirt or something. So they spent their money there and I, I think that was kind of a perk to them um, that they enjoyed. So um, that, that weighed in on us coming down here as well. Um, yeah, and, and back to the building, we're, again, we're not, we're not, you know, changing anything, you know, the existing brick. We're going to um, tuck point it, preserve the exterior look. Um, we're going to give it, again, cut in some more windows, um, a complete new roof, and then, um, you know, it, I don't know that it'll be completely lead, but it'll be um, energy efficient mechanical systems and, and uh, fixtures in it. Any questions? Then <laughs> Brandy. I'd like to talk a little bit about how this aligns with the city's goals for 2040 as well as the downtown master plan. Uh, both have deemed this a high priority site given its location and abandonment. It's also been designated as an opportunity site by the downtown Lawrence master plan and is located within the economic development zone of East Lawrence. Uh, this also aligns as redevelopment of currently dilapidated structures and preserving the historic integrity of the Liberty Wall align very well with the city's goals. This will increase the appraised value of the property, increase tax revenues, as Robert said, we'll have employees back downtown. Um, the actual downtown Lawrence plan calls for this building to be raised. However, we are going to restore it to maximize the existing resources and infrastructure. This project also promotes infill development and supports the economic and social vibrancy of downtown Lawrence by bringing employees and our clients back downtown to shop and dine and increase the downtown Lawrence daytime population. This will also emphasize downtown as an employment destination and cultural center of the city. This will contribute to the overall health, economic well-being of downtown. It expands on an existing corporate citizen and creates new jobs that are well in excess of the current living wage. This will also have a significant economic impact on downtown and the city. We're investing approximately $5.1 million in building and equipment. We'll have residential development encouraged as our workers relocate from other areas to Lawrence. Gives an increased opportunity for our local construction sector partners, not only on this project, but on other projects we're working on. It'll increase the local median income. It increases sales tax revenue, as we've already discussed, plus it will bring the sales tax which we pay on our maintenance goods and construction goods that are shipped to Lawrence, as currently those were being taken out of the county and did not have city sales tax applied to them. It increases the economic support for downtown and will increase guest taxes from our clients and business partners visiting here in Lawrence. Why do we need this IRB and NRA? This project, as Doug said, has been challenging despite COVID. Numerous projects have been proposed, none of which have come to fruition. During COVID, KU closed. First management's revenues are based on management fees and maintenance fees, which are based again on occupancy and revenues, rent revenues. In early 2020, KU delayed the start of the school year, later transitioning to online learning. Large numbers of students chose not to return, resulting in unprecedented vacancy rates for our properties. This has resulted in large losses for first management. 
It wasn't until August of 2021 that KU announced they would reopen. At that point, few students had pre-leased for the fall semester or had decided whether or not they would return, again impacting our vacancy rates and creating economic uncertainty. For first construction, the COVID epidemic resulted in delayed projects, increased material prices, supply chain delivery issues, and lack of available labor. While both companies have started to come into income stabilization, they su suffered significant losses during that period, and which impact our ability to invest in growth and expansion. Economic recovery is happening. However, we are going to need that for operation capital and to add employees and funds for operations. First Construction is currently contracted to build millions in projects that are going to generate sales tax, income tax, and real estate taxes. However, we are again facing economic uncertainty with the rise of inflation and interest rates impacting the ability to go forward with projects. First Management has been awarded three new apartment management contracts for approximately 650 units, again going to why we need to increase our staff. The need for economic incentives is to allow us to build this new corporate headquarters, revitalize this building, and continue to expand the company with our existing resources. We're seeking a 15-year, 90% neighborhood revitalization area rebate and industrial revenue bonds on the sales tax exemption for construction goods and labor. And we're happy to stand for any questions. Thank you very much for that presentation. Any questions from the group? Commissioner Kelly, just two, maybe three questions. Um, first question is, how long have you owned this building? Uh, Doug believes he's owned it since the borders actually closed, so 2011. It's been sitting vacant ever since. Okay, and then if, um, if you don't move into this location, will you not be hiring those additional employees? We have no room to put them. Uh, I don't know what we would do. I don't know that we would be able to. These are jobs that have to physically be present. We can't use remote workers for these positions. And there, there's no available commercial real estate in the city of Lawrence? So this is the only option you have? It's the only option we've been able to locate that would be feasible to retain all staff in one location. Hey, this is Kate Lorenz. I have a question, and perhaps this is also a question for Sam and the and the city. But if you if the um, company's company was to outgrow the space again with the the unprecedented growth is experiencing, what would happen to the um, to the specifically 15 year NRA um, in that case if the purpose were to change or the the property were to be sold? I can take that one. Um, we would have a development agreement that would require, since the financial analysis was based on these two particular tenants being part of this um, building for the, the duration, we would require that. Otherwise, the uh, incentive would expire. Thank and you. to expand on that, this, the current footprint that we've designed allows the addition of even more offices in the future. So we, we are 
this is a scaled project where we're adding a lot of space right now with the ability to add even more if it's needed. Thank you. This is Christina Gentry. Hi, um, thank you for that presentation, all three of you. Um, so I'm not sure who to direct this question to. It could be all of you um, or, or you standing before me, Brandy. Um, so first, management relies on a network of local partners. Um, I understand that that's in reply to the beneficial impact the proposed project may have on the city, resulting from it, its creation of new jobs or and its creation of niche businesses. I feel it not too reaching to also include your local partnerships, include um, VCs or residents who will be included into first management and those individual families who are signing on to a six, 12, 18 month contract with first management. Um, so uh, there was a little bit talking about affordable housing. Could you tell me, um, and I feel this is a fair inquiry because you may not have info about the presentation as it relates to this building, but you have some historic influence on your first management, how has contributed to project or to protect public health safety or welfare of the residents of this municipality um, by its allowing and, and, and including affordable housing units. Can you tell me, um, for example, of the contracts that you have for the three apartment projects in Kansas City, including 650 apartment units, how many of those will be delegated for use of sub, or are delegated for use for subsidized or affordable housing? Um, and I feel like this is a question probably you can give me for in the history of how first management has worked for affordable housing uh, projects and its residents. I'm going to have to check with Robert Green on this because sure. I'm not familiar. It's with a it's a big question, yeah. Um. And I, and I apologize. I don't have the the exact number. I do know that um, that we do have uh, requirement and the number that um, I'm coming up with is we have there out of the 600 units we had a requirement in um, Mission that was they required us to have 40 of those okay. um, units to be um, affordable house. Okay. I've got more well, questions. The only thing I want to add to that is sure. we have a project in front of the city right now. Um, I bought the old Old Father Studio on 9th Street and we have a proposal to build 55 new apartments there and there was uh, we're meeting the requirement from the city to make 2%. Huh? 2%. Whatever percentage there was that the city asked us to do for affordable housing on that new site, we're doing that. Okay, thank you. And we'll continue to do that as we build other projects in Lawrence. Um, yeah, and I'll just continue um, because I, I know that there might be more questions too coming from public, but um, this hits on you know all, all of the, the things that we prioritize here at the PIRC as far as like having a high priority site, um, it's infill project, it's expanding on resource capacity. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the environmental info. Um, because as I read through the um, application and, and took out some of the information, I didn't see there's an answer that was talking about the um, environmental information. So could you please describe anticipated negative environmental impacts um, and the um, what would be the remediation efforts that would be uh, impacted or be used by you uh, and your first management? 
Um, for re remediation efforts, we will be employing recycling through the construction process to try to recycle as many goods as possible. There won't be much to be recycled as we're using the existing windows. We're going to reuse the exterior of the building. Uh, the waste of this project will be very low and minimal. We also are in putting in recycling centers for our employees. Um, for example, we put in water bottle filling stations to encourage our employees to use water instead of plastic bottles. Um, those are just some of the some of the examples of what we're doing to encourage recycling within our own company as well as what we're doing for the job site. Okay. Thank you. I'll pause here and see if there's other members who have questions. I don't see any other questions. Uh, Christina, do I you do, have I have, I do have one more. Oh, yes, definitely. Go right ahead. Just since I've asked one already. Um, one of the questions, actually, that we received in public comment was about the miscellaneous taxes and user fees and the cost-benefit um, summary. And that was, I think, $149,060. Um, and I did look through and to see if I could figure out more information on my own through the packets and material um, about what that would be. But I was just um, hoping that someone could fill me in a little bit on the details of what that would entail and what that's based on. Brent, do you have that? It's on page 65 of the, of the technical report. Okay, Kate, I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand exactly what you're asking. Yeah, so it's so the the benefits and costs summary where it lists sales tax, um, new residential property taxes, and and all of those. There's one for miscellaneous taxes and user fees, and I just wanted a little bit of help understanding what that category was. Actually, Britt, I think that's referring to our utility consumption. I think there were water, water or sewage, and yeah. other revenues, tax revenues generated by us being back in Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, we do get uh, franchise fees off of some of the utilities, and so that, if looking at the model, it looks like that is one of the benefits that has been uh, taken into consideration through the model. So there's utility, yeah, utility revenue and franchise fees, and then below that there's miscellaneous taxes and user fees. So is that all all related to utilities? It's a couple of it's a couple of rows above. I mean, th so there are, um, and I'd be happy to walk through uh, through this with you at a later time, Kate. The the model that we use is pretty comprehensive, so it takes into a lot of assumptions. Um, and it's a, sometimes it's a little difficult to determine like where it's pulling some of this information from. Um, so we would have to go and check exactly like what it, um, like I, so I'm looking in the one of the assumptions right now and it says um, rate of expected annual increases. It just says county miscellaneous taxes and user fees. It doesn't clearly define what exactly that is. Um, so we can check with the the company that provides this model to us, uh, Impact Data Source, and we can get back to you about like what exactly they consider that category because they're the ones who come up with this model. Got it. Okay, thank you. Any other questions from the committee? Yes, I have another question. Um, this is this is something that um, I I I hone in on because. Um, 
as we're talking about residential development, as we're talking about your agents, having their agents be in one space and how, having your unit be accommodating to all of your staff that accommodate and, and will be also be um, using, utilizing downtown Mass for their needs and, and have it be convenient for them to be working, living in a place where they, they also integrate into the community. Um, I wanted to ask some questions specifically on how your agents' interactions with their residents uh, and how and what that looks like as a person who's never used first management, but like if I were eventually going to be a person who's a leasee, I would do some Googling of, of how your management and staff treat their residents, how my living there and experience would be maybe somehow um, beneficial as I would look at other people's uh, reviews and experiences with first management companies. So that's where I'm gonna come from right here with this. Um, so in Googling your company and under public reviews, there were 83 folks submitting responses to their personal experience living underneath and, and experiencing first management um, agency. And um, so I know that people at any point can just put down their reviews and it could be fair or not fair, but in 83 reviews, I feel like there was quite a bit that were negative. There was some there were positive coming from your residents who are leases, who are, we have our established um, contributors to your business. Um, so there was some, I'm gonna just kind of quote a few, uh, living there four months ago who said, first management is not the kind of property you want to rent from. Um, and then there was also public input that says that, that uh, first management towed my car repeatedly and refused to pay. Uh, seven months ago, one of the residents who rented from First Management said they char charged me extra $50 a month for my entire lease without telling me. Um, and then four years ago, someone wrote that, that there's no real issue until move out. It took a month and a half to get my security check deposit from me, uh, deposited to me, and I asked at 30-day mark the legal deadline for receiving a check, and they told me it had been posted and there was nothing to be done about it. I feel like, you know, renters have um, rights too to understanding how their leasing and agents are going to be treating them and, and understanding that this is a property they're, they're building into. Uh, so I think it's fair to ask the question about your leasing and leasing agents and to understand what kind of customer relations that are training that you give your agents to kind of make sure that there is a good standing and strong standing relationship that you've built with your clients who are leasees and with your, your agents that we're trying to accommodate to be downtown and to shop and to continue building our economic uh, growth. What are you doing as far as training those agents to be great public relations initiators for our community? One of the things that we do with all, all staff, and it's pretty regular basis, is we do train in fair housing. We do train on how to handle diverse um, tenants and to meet their needs. Uh, for example, we do train our maintenance staff regarding needs of those of the Muslim community uh, who may not permit a male uh, maintenance worker into their unit without another male being present. Uh, we try to address all these things and make sure that our staff is sensitive to the various needs. When we see these kinds of negative reviews, the first thing we do at a corporate level is reach out to the staff and go, do you know who this is and what is going on? And then we attempt to reach out. Um, we use maintenance surveys with all of our work orders to try to see, are we meeting our clients' expectations? And if we're not, we have a maintenance administrator whose job is to reach out and find out what the issue is and how we can resolve it. 
Um, I, I think our number one goal, obviously, if we don't have happy tenants, we don't have customers. And making sure our staff understands that we are a customer service business. We, we're not just here to take their rent. We're here to make them have a good and happy living experience. The one thing I would add to that is, um, have we made a mistake here and there? Um, but I don't think we'd be as successful as we've been over the last 35 years and 100% occupied right now if we weren't taking care of our customers or our residents. Um, you mentioned about cars being towed. Um, we do that to protect the residents that currently live in the buildings. Um, we give the residents that live there a parking permit. We, we have a contract with a uh, security company that patrols all of our parking lots every night. And if cars do not have permits to be living at that location, yes, they do get towed. Um, I, I don't think that happens that often, because I would know about it. Um, but most of our tenants will visit our downtown location. I mean, even though we moved from 901 to North Lawrence, we've maintained a leasing office downtown. I mean, I, I own enough buildings on mass that are empty that we've always, we just used the former um, Lululemon. Lululemon building. Our leasing office was down there for the last year or so in the Lululemon building. They'll be moving over to us with where we're at now. I, the only thing I'm going to say is that this would be a big shot in the arm for downtown Lawrence. I mean, it, it desperately needs some, some positive and some good things to happen in downtown. And a building that's been blighted now for 12 years, and for us to bring another 80 employees back downtown Lawrence and have everybody under one roof, I think will provide even better customer service than us being split up in four different locations right now. But you know, we have thousands of residents, so sure. I, I wish we didn't have 80 negative reviews, but um, as Brandy said, we do do surveys with our residents all the time. Um, and I don't think we'd be 100% occupied if we weren't doing something right. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions from the committee before we go to online and in person? Uh, just real quick, John. Uh, I'd Britt was able to find an answer to Kate's question regarding the oh, miscellaneous taxes and user fees. Um, so this, I'm reading from the, the user guide that the company provided us, um, so I'm just going to read verbatim. Uh, the model estimates as many revenue sources uh, directly based on the spending and taxable property associated with the project. Uh, however, the city and county will collect additional miscellaneous taxes and user fees beyond those itemized directly in the model. The model includes an assumption for additional revenue collected from one, uh, new residents moving to the community on a per household basis and two, uh, new businesses on a per worker basis. Uh, the revenue estimates are derived from city and county budget information, input from the community, and impact data source experience. Uh, That's the company uh, who provides the model. Uh, tables on the following pages illustrate these miscellaneous uh, user fees and there's um, some additional information that I could probably send out to everyone regarding, I think it's like some examples or how, how, exa how exactly they calculate some of these things. So I'd be happy to send that up. 
Great. Thank you. I appreciate that follow-up. Mm -hmm. And Sam, does it matter if we do as far as the online participants or the in-person first? Um, let's just do in-person in first. Okay. Can you have... In-person comments first. Hi, I'm still KT Walsh. Um, Commissioner Gentry, I, uh, kudos to you for asking some hard questions and looking at it in a more global sense as a community um, partner um, <clears throat> and bringing up affordable housing, which is a huge crisis in Lawrence right now. So thank you for that. Um, I have lived across the street from the Borders Building for about 40 years in the North Rhode Island National Historic District. And we look forward to meeting with Mr. Compton or his employees um, when the site plan is filed. So we'll be informed about um, who our neighbor will be and etc especially since they mentioned that they may expand which would probably not be up but be to the east empty buildings and empty houses are not good for any community so i am glad that somebody's moving into that building my biggest concern about the NRA request is uh, the effect on the school district, which speaking of crisis, we are in a real crisis in our school district. Um, they're closing schools every year. More will be closed next year. I am concerned. Um, reading the figures, it said $294,515. And I'm not sophisticated about finances, but it concerns me if that affects the school district. District. Um, and finally, oh, and I'm very happy they want to uh, save the North Wall. I've been pushing for that for 30 years. Um, I also wanted to inform you that there's a new uh, organization in town that just presented to the East Lawrence Neighborhood Association named Black 30, and they are young people, and one of their focuses is um, publicizing people of color in Lawrence and Douglas County that have businesses. And they have a big membership already. They're having a business mixer this coming week. Go to their website, Black 30, or their Facebook page. It might help um, anyone, Mr. Compton, anybody uh, building in this community, because a lot of the things that you'll need to build can be purchased right here. Thank you. Thank you very much, KT. Any other comments in person? Uh, I don't see any in person, um, so we'll move to online. And I'll just we'll just go down the row in the in the way that I see it. Um, okay. So let's go with uh, Lena. Lena Mose. So I just have one question. In considering the goals of the city for downtown, I'm curious what local opportunities will you imagine will occur for local construction sector partners? Just curious about what that might look like. Um, currently already on this project, we're parking, partnering with a local roofing company, a local HVAC contractor, as well as a local electrical contractor. So there will be local providers working on this project. We estimate between 100 and 120 jobs will be temporarily located downtown during our construction project. Thank you. A quick uh, question for our chair. So are we going to allow public comments to ask questions directly of the applicant or do we want them to provide public comment to us and then we can choose whether to ask those of the applicant? 
Uh, same would you recommend? Um, so I, I guess if we're following, continuing to follow the model of the commission, um, typically the um, the commission calls for public comment, and if there is additional questions or comments from the board um, that are kind of brought about by those comments, then you can ask them, but typically we don't have um, the applicants answer direct questions that are brought up by um, public comment. Okay. So if, if you wanna follow it that way where you know people continue to make public comment and then if something sparks in your brain at the end of that and you wanna ask a question, you, you can do it that way. Um, that's typically how it's handled. Okay, so we could ask a follow-up in regards to something said by the public. Correct. Okay. And I guess Barry will be next. Yeah, uh, Barry Shalinski, if you want to go ahead. Yes, thank you. Uh, I'm Barry Shalinski. I live at uh, 645 Connecticut Street. Uh, I've owned this property since 1983. It is within 300 feet of the uh, subject property. I'm concerned that um, if we approve this, what we're really doing is rewarding this applicant for allowing the building to deteriorate for the last um, 13 years. There's absolutely nothing uh, that was an impediment or got in the way of them doing something to stabilize and rehabilitate the North Wall all this time, uh, and yet they didn't, and now we're being asked to help subsidize that. Um, with regard to job creation, uh, it sounds like with 100% occupancy they've gotten over the pandemic um, and that these jobs were going to be created anyway they are needed by this company so i think it's a fiction to say that this renovation and that these um, tax incentives are needed in order to incentivize the creation of jobs that were going to be created anyway um, finally, my biggest concern is um, use of the neighborhood revitalization incentive. As someone who's lived in this neighborhood for a long time and watched this neighborhood for a long time, I can tell you that there are two things that we really, really need. One is a grocery store. This was an ideal location for that. And for whatever reason, uh, despite many efforts by the community, that has not come to fruition. The other thing we need is low-cost, family-friendly housing. Not studio apartments, but family-friendly housing. Families are who have children, children are who attend schools, uh, New York School and Central really need families. Uh, I'm very disappointed that we're not using incentives for these two types of things, but rather um, in this manner. Thank you. And then last I see uh, Jonathan Oliva. 
uh, hello, my name is Jonathan. I read the account. Better description. Um, gun prices in town have gone by 28%, um, which is higher than the national average. Um, pretty good at their property management company. Uh, you know, I, I heard um, they cite the pandemic as an instability, but it's kind of contradictory with uh, the, the fact that you live in this building because you experienced unprecedented growth. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Jonathan. We're having a, a hard time hearing you. Um, if you could maybe speak louder, or we just want to make sure we can hear your your comments. Is uh, is this better? Yes, we can hear you. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So um, I just uh, it's just got a little bit contradictory to me. You know, you cited the pandemic as a as a or source of instability. But uh, you're you're asking for this building and for this tax break. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I lost my my train there. Um, you're, you're asking for this this tax break to bring more jobs into the, the community, but there's no guarantee that these people are going to move into the community. Um, you know, uh, Mr. Compton himself uh, admitted that he owned this building, so. Uh, why has he not, you know, kept up with the renovations and just let it uh, dilapidate um, over the, the course of the last 13 years? Uh, why has he not tried to fill it? I mean, I know there was a, an effort to put a grocery store and 20 units into the this building. Um, why are we not doing that? Uh, according to Kansas Appleseed, um, Northern Lawrence and downtown Lawrence is considered a food desert uh, because of lack of grocery stores. Um, so community members don't have, you know, access to uh, groceries in that area. Um, and I'm just failing to see how um, this this is more beneficial than than that. Um, and, you know, as as they as they uh, said in their presentation, you know, they, they're experiencing unprecedented growth. And I'm just finding it hard to, to you know, square it with uh, if a company is doing so well, why would they need a, a handout of, you know, a million dollars? Thanks. Uh, and then, John, it looks like um, somebody else raised their hand. Um, yes, uh, Rowan, looks like. Uh, Rowan, if you'd like to speak. Hi, um, my name is Rowan Shering. Um, I'm a Lawrence resident, and I was kind of echoing um, what the last public commenter was saying, which is that. Um, I understand uh, first management and um, and De Compton being able to do what they would like to do with their own property, but that it is unreasonable to ask um, ask the public to fund that in this particular case, especially like the last public commenter was saying, and when they are experiencing such rapid growth. That was all I wanted to say. Thank you very much, Rowan. Uh, Sam, I'm seeing no further comment online. I'm assuming none in person. Uh, that's correct. I don't see anybody uh, in person or online. Okay. Uh, that 
being said, could I get a first motion to approve this sales I tax think, exemption? Can we have a, a pause oh, yes. for the, the committee members to follow up? Um, kind of in response to, I think, one of KT's comments the, about the school district funding. In the technical report, it does say that impacts of the project on the local school district are insubstantial due to state school financing formulas. Um, could I hear a little bit more about why that's the case? Um, is that from maybe is that from Sam and Britt? Yeah. So the way, um, and we just it's it's been a while um, since we've had an NRA, so we just went and double checked with the uh, the school's finance director. Essentially, what happens is um, the mills that are assessed on properties um, collect kind of the state's overall budget. And that money is sent up to the state education department. And then based on enrollment in Lawrence, that money is then dropped back down to fund the schools. So it's um, it, it's seen as negligible or insubstantial because all it's really doing is reducing the funding that's sent up to the state. Um, but as long as uh, it, it, it depends on the enrollment numbers in Lawrence at the time. So um, un unless... Uh, you know, we were to see five schools close or something like there was a really dire situation. Um, maybe there would be some impact, um, but because of the way the state kind of collects and then redistributes that money, um, that's why we have kind of that that addendum, that footnote about the impact on the on the school district. Got it. So it would be the two ninety four thousand going into the state and then getting distributed. Correct. Got it. Thank you. I know I'm not Sam, speak, but we this have Commissioner closed Kelly, five can schools. I? We have closed five schools. I'm just uh, sorry. Go ahead, Commissioner. Yeah, so I think I, I know a little bit about school finance, and, and I, I, I do think that while it is true that the majority of the funding does come from that state-allocated property tax, by enrollment. There is also a local option, and recently the Kansas legislature also passed an opportunity for a cost of living index as well. It, to Kate's question, I couldn't give you the exact number, which is maybe why Sam is, but I want to make sure that the public doesn't think that no local dollars are collected that don't go to schools. There are some local dollars that are specifically tied to a local option budget. Um, and there's a new law that will have an impact as well if the school board decides to approve it for cost of living. And I believe that local option by state statute is um, not, the, the NRA has to discount that. It can't take that mill levy into consideration. So that is shielded from the NRA. Thank you, Britt. Do you know about the new, have they said anything about the new cost of living index? I have not heard anything along okay. those lines. I didn't know about the local option, so that's helpful. Thank you. And just to be clear, I asked from a perspective of also being concerned about that and wanting to be sure that I understood about the um, about that line about the impact on school funding. Any other comments from the committee? Um, I had a really quick question, just kind of following through with um, uh, Patrick had mentioned the school board approval pending. When does the school board vote on that? Is there any information on that, or is that just it, we're just too soon to tell um, and what that looks like for the school board to approve the um, 
uh, the, I think it was something pending. I, I wrote that down. Uh, but when when would the school board be voting to that uh, impact of the budget and the mills? I would just clarify, and I'm going to let Sam speak to the actual date. But with the NRA, it has to get approval from the city, the um, the county, and the school board each has to vote on their participation in the NRA. And so each of those, um, each of those entities will have this up for a vote. And it's pending, so we don't know that date of the vote yet? So tentatively, we have, um, we have the, the presentation of this incentive request um, being brought before the school board on July 24th. Um, that is the second, or the, the fourth Monday of July. OK, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. This Commissioner Kelly, Christina, the school board just learned about this new budget authority that they can either exercise or not exercise at Monday's meeting. So I think that would be part of their budget discussions and later this year. Okay, thank you, Patrick. You know, since we are an advisory committee, I, I do think it's important to talk a little bit about how we're going to vote because then we're essentially advising if we just vote without saying maybe why we're choosing to vote the way we are, I think it doesn't give enough context for city commissioners um, to think about. I, I will just say that I, um, while I appreciate the new jobs, I did not hear in the presentation uh, a response that gave me enough comfort that these new jobs won't happen unless the expansion happens to this place. Um, I do agree with some of the public commenters that um, the property owner has had this property since 2011 and to see it as being dilapidated or abandoned, um, having owned the property for 13 years, that's a hard stretch for me. Um, and while I appreciate the value around infill development, um, you know, this, this is an existing property that could be used. And, and when you look at the numbers that are on here, $300,000 to the county, um, $223,000 to the city, there's a lot of services and supports across our community that could be served by those dollars. And, and so while I appreciate the ask and I understand the need and, and the um, desire to line it up with some of the strategic plans of, of the city of Lawrence, um, for me personally, this is, this is not compelling to approve um, this request. Thank you very much, Commissioner. Anybody else would like to comment? Um, I would say, yeah, I appreciate Commissioner Kelly's um, desire to be a little bit more forthcoming with um, the committee members' thoughts and and considerations. Um, I would, I would perhaps bring up and would be willing to consider a motion to vote on each of the requests individually, the sales tax exemption and the NRA, um, as another possibility, as I know we have done in meetings before. Would that be an option, Sam, to separate them? Uh, that I mean, the item is presented in that way, but you're allowed to kind of do your own motions. You're allowed to set your own motions. So if you wanted to separate them out, that's that would be up to you as a body. Okay. So in that situation, let's ask for a, a first motion on, say, just the sales tax exemption. And then... Somebody would make a motion, we, yes. 
Sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to pause for for a second for other commissioner or for other sorry committee member input if needed. I would be fine with separating them if, if that is the desire of the board of the committee. This is Christina Gentria. I am also in agreement of separating the issues and voting on either one, as well as providing context as to their, our answer. John, this is Brad Burnside. I'm not in favor of separating them. And so sounds like I don't have enough uh, people with like mine, but uh, that's, my, that's my position. Okay. Uh, in this case, uh, let's. I would like to separate them if we could. Um, let us. Uh, can I get a first motion on the sales tax exemption to approve? Um, this is Kate Lorenz. I would make a motion to approve the sales tax exemption. Thank you very much. Individually. Kate. And can I get a second motion to approve just based on the sales tax exemption of the RB? This is Christina Gentry. I second the motion. Thank you very much, Christina. And going down the line alphabetically, Brad Burnside. So John, let me let me clarify. If 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 a yes vote for this would be a vote for not approving an NRA, is that correct? Tamana, I'd say it'd be a separate vote. Uh, this would be only for the sales tax exemption of the IRB. Okay. Hey, well, I'm in, I'm in favor. I'm in favor of the sales tax exemption. Uh, thank you very much, Christina. Uh, no, I'm not in favor. Thank you. Commissioner Kelly? Yes, on the sales tax exemption. Kate Lorenz? Yes, on the sales tax exemption. And I as well as a yes on the sales tax exemption, and that would be a four to one yes to no vote. And on the second part would be the NRA Neighborhood Revitalization Act property tax rebates. As far as getting a first motion to approve, This is Brad. I would move to approve. Thank you, Brad. And can I get a second motion as far as on improving the separate Neighborhood Revitalization Act rebate, property tax rebate? Sam, it is my assumption I'm not allowed to make a motion as far as or approve a motion. Is that correct? No, I don't think there's any issue with you making a, a second. Okay. Well, in that case, I would like to be the second motion as far as on that. And then uh, we'll go down the line again. Uh, Brad Burnside, uh, this is on the separate Neighborhood Revitalization Act rebate. I'm in favor of the rebate. Uh, Christina Gentry? No, I'm not in favor. Thank you. Commissioner Kelly? No. Thank you. Kate Lawrence? No. Thank you. And I'm um, a yes. And uh, it is a two to three, two eyes to three nays decision on that one. As far as in that. 
let's see, Sam, is there any comments uh, as far as public comment, uh, as far as on agenda item number three? Uh, yeah, so at this time, you would call for public comment for items not on the agenda. So, Okay. Um, is there any public comments for anything not on the agenda for up to three minutes to speak? Um, Seeing no further comments? Yeah, I was just saying... Meeting, sorry, oh, go ahead, John. Uh, Seeing no other further public comments, this meeting is adjourned. All right, thank you, everyone. Thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.